Welcome to Your Catholic Corner. I'm your show host, Julie South. Your Catholic Corner helps Catholics spiritually prepare for each Sunday's Mass starting midweek each week. You can listen to Your Catholic Corner at yourcatholiccorner.com. Today, we're uncovering the biblical gems hidden in the books of the prophet Isaiah, Acts, and Matthew's Gospel. In Catholic speak, we're in the last days of Christmas in year B. Today is a special feast day, or this Sunday is a special feast day, and this time it's the baptism of the Lord. With this episode, we'll look at this week's question of the week, which is, where is the religious meaning in the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas?, Then we'll look at some context and history surrounding the three Bible readings from Isaiah 42, Acts 10, and Matthew 3. After that, we'll wrap up with my personal reflections or the nudge God's giving me in relation to these Bible passages. But before that, a quick word about your Catholic corner, just in case this is your first time here. Regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, Whether you've only just heard of that man called Jesus, you're new to Catholicism, or you're a cradle Catholic, my prayer is that your Catholic corner will help bring God's Word to life in your heart through insights, reflections, and practical applications that help deepen your relationship with God. Every Thursday, we'll start preparing for Mass by uncovering the richness hidden in each Sunday's Bible readings, from Old Testament prophecies to gospel parables. I invite you to join me and the parishioners of the Cathedral of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Hamilton, New Zealand, sponsors of Your Catholic Corner, so that together we can hear God's Word and echo Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Now, let's get back to today's show. No doubt you're familiar with the Christmas song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. You won't thank me for singing it to you, so I will spare you that pain, but I'm sure you know it. This song directly references the 12 days between 25 December, Christmas Day, and the 6th of January, which is Epiphany, on our Christian calendar. There are all sorts of theories, none of which have been categorically proved, that talk about how it's thought the song was written in the 16th century in England. At this time, openly being and practicing Catholicism was illegal. At the time, the song was used to secretly teach children about being Catholic. Whether this is true or not, I like it. I like it because it has each of the 12 gifts in the song being symbolic of Catholic doctrine. We have a partridge in a pear tree, Jesus Christ sacrificing himself on the cross, two turtle doves being the Old and the New Testament, three French hens, the theological virtues of faith, hope and love, or it could be the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as well. Four calling birds, the four Gospels conveying Christ's life, five golden rings, the first five books of the Bible, six geese a-laying, the six days of creation in Genesis, seven swans a-swimming, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, 
eight maids a milking, the eight beatitudes expressing virtues for righteous living, nine ladies dancing, the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit, ten lords a leaping, the ten commandments providing moral guidance, eleven pipers piping, the eleven faithful apostles, and finally twelve drummers drumming, the twelve articles of faith in the Apostles' Creed. So that's the famous song. When it comes to the 12 days from a biblical perspective, we have 12 days connecting the two big Christian holiday feasts, Christmas Day on the 25th of December through to Epiphany on the 6th of January. Because many Christmas customs have their origins in pagan winter festivals, like the timing of Christmas by the winter solstice, and the 12 days likely coming from festivals like Yule, early Christians saw parallels between pagan customs longing for the sun's return and Jesus coming as the light of the world. Therefore, many of these lively, festival-like, seasonal traditions continued on, but now with a Christian meaning. Back in the day, the local bishops had a bit of a had a go at instituting fasts to tone down the lingering, lingering pagan partying atmosphere. Like I mentioned a few weeks back, the period of Advent for Catholics used to include fasting, but Vatican II in the 1960s changed that. Fasting is no longer a thing for Catholics at Advent, only for Lent before Easter. Just for the records, many people think that the 12 days of Christmas refers to the 12 days leading up to Christmas. This might be a retail-inspired hope. In fact, as you can hear now, it's the 12 days after Christmas. It's also a time when many homes take down their Christmas decorations. I'm remembering that mum was always very strict on making sure that our decorations were well and truly put away by the 6th of January each year, in line with the 12 days of Christmas. Although I'm pretty sure it had no religious meaning for her, it was just something that you did back then. It was one of our Christmas traditions. Now, with our three Bible passages from Isaiah, Acts, and Matthew, what's their common unifying theme? Is there one that connects all three, or just the first Old Testament passage with the New Testament Gospel reading, or maybe a different combination of two intersecting? Let's have a look. All three of these passages are woven together by themes central to Catholic faith. We have Jesus' identity as the chosen servant of God, his mission to bring healing and justice, his fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and his offer of salvation to all people. The church uses and sees in these texts a sound narrative about who Jesus is, what he came to do, and how his mission extends beyond any one group to include and embrace the whole world. Let's look at those in a bit more depth so we can see how they're linked together. We have the mission and the identity of Jesus. In Isaiah 42, Verses 1 through 4 and 6 and 7, 
They give us the figure known as God's servant, someone who's to bring forth justice and to be a light to the Gentiles. This servant will have a spirit of gentleness and faithfulness, not breaking a bruised reed or quenching a smoldering wick until he establishes justice on earth. As Catholics, we read this as the messianic prophecy describing Jesus Christ. As Catholics, we know and believe it's Jesus upon whom the Spirit of God rests, as shown in his baptism, which is what takes place in the gospel passages from, or the gospel passage from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It's where the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and a voice from heaven declares Jesus as God's beloved Son. Jesus' baptism marks the beginning of his public ministry, his public works. It's a sign of his humility and his solidarity with us human beings and our sinfulness, despite the fact that he himself is unblemished, is without sin. As Catholics, we see this event as a manifestation of the Trinity, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and as a confirmation of Jesus' mission to redeem and sanctify, to bless humanity. And then in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 38, it speaks of Peter's realization that God's salvation through Jesus isn't limited by ethnicity or social status. Here we have Peter preaching that Jesus was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and power, that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This reflects and confirms the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy about the servant's mission to bring justice and healing. Then we have the fulfillment of prophecy. The Gospel of Matthew is keen to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. The events at Jesus' baptism echo the words of Isaiah. Therefore, that suggests that Jesus is indeed the servant sent by God. This is confirmed through the descent of the Spirit and the voice from heaven. We have absolute divine confirmation of Jesus' identity and his mission. Acts in chapter 10 verses 34 through 38 also refers back to the prophecy of Isaiah by highlighting that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. At the same time, Peach's speech indicates that the early Christian community understood Jesus' life and work as the fulfillment of the messianic expectations outlined in Hebrew in the Old Testament scriptures. Then we also have the universal salvation. In Isaiah, the servant is to be the light for the nations, indicating that salvation is not exclusive to Israel, but is meant for all peoples, for you and for me. This universal scope is a significant theme in Catholic theology. It emphasizes that God's love and his salvation are offered to every human being without exception, to you and to me, without exception, regardless. Catholic, as I'm sure you might already know, means universal. So this Bible passage confirms that with God, there are no exceptions. He's prepared. God is prepared to save everyone. 
Taking that one step further, we have Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism suggesting a universal calling. The voice from heaven doesn't speak only to Israel, but to all who will listen, announcing Jesus as the beloved Son in whom God is well pleased. In Acts chapter 10 verses 34 to 38, they capture the pivotal moment in the early church when Peter realizes that the gospel must be preached to Gentiles as well as Jews. This marks a significant expansion of the church's mission field and reflects Catholic teaching on Catholicism, again meaning universality of the church and its sacraments. Now, let's take one of those passages and give it some context, some background, so we can understand it just a little bit better. Today, I've chosen the second reading from the book of Acts, or the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Who wrote the book of Acts? which is also sometimes called Acts of the Apostles. It's a New Testament book and was most likely written in the latter part of the first century AD. Many biblical scholars date it to about sometime between 80 and 110 AD and think Luke is the author. They think it wrote, he wrote it after he wrote the Gospel of Luke. The book chronicles or lays out the early days of the Christian church after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension into heaven. It focuses on the ministries, the Christian work, the public work of key apostles like Peter and Paul. The book of Acts provides a historical account of how the church grew from a small group of Jewish believers in Jerusalem to the widespread movement it became across the Roman Empire. Luke's one of the four evangelists. The other three are Matthew, Mark, and John. In one of Paul's writings, Luke's identified as the beloved physician. Given his profession, it kind of explains Luke's quite detailed approach to what he writes. Luke and Paul were believed to have been companions together on some of the missionary trips that they took. It's also widely thought that Luke was a Gentile Christian. If that's correct, it makes him unique among the gospel writers as the only non-Jewish author. Luke's writings particularly show concern for the Gentiles, for women, the poor, and for social outcasts. When it comes to Christian art, Luke's often represented by an ox or a calf, which are symbols of sacrifice and match the underlying theme of his gospel. All saints have a feast day in their honour, and Luke's is celebrated on the 18th of October each year. He's celebrated in both the Western and Eastern Christian traditions. All saints are also patrons of different things or different professions. Luke is the patron saint of artists, physicians, surgeons, students and butchers. With all of that as the backdrop, now let's hear God's word from the Bible passages in Isaiah Acts and Matthew. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. 
Thus says the Lord. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have endowed him with my spirit that he may bring true justice to the nations. He does not cry out or shout aloud or make his voice heard in the streets. He does not break the crushed reed nor quench the wavering flame. Faithfully, he brings true justice. He will neither waver nor be crushed until true justice is established on earth, for the islands are awaiting his law. I, the Lord, have called you to serve the cause of right. I have taken you by the hand and formed you. I have appointed you as covenant of the people and light of the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to free captives from prison, and those who live in darkness from the dungeon. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Peter addressed Cornelius and his household. The truth I have now come to realize, he said, is that God does not have favorites, but that anybody of any nationality who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to him. It is true, God sent his word to the people of Israel, and it was to them that the good news of peace was brought by Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is Lord of all men. You must have heard about the recent happenings in Judea, about Jesus of Nazareth, and how he began in Galilee after John had been preaching baptism. God had anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And because God was with him, Jesus went about doing good and curing all who had fallen into the power of the devil. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John tried to dissuade him. It is I who need baptism from you, he said, and yet you come to me. But Jesus replied, Leave it like this for the time being. It is fitting that we should, in this way, do all that righteousness demands. At this, John gave in to him. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up from the water, and suddenly the heavens opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice spoke from heaven, This is my Son, the Beloved. My favour rests on him. What was God saying to you through these men? Remember that there's no right or wrong way to listen to God. All that's important is that you do listen to him. Also, remember that what he says to you today may be different if you listened to these passages again tomorrow. Keep in mind also that the message you connect with most is likely different to the message someone else connects with. That's because we're all unique, going through our own unique things, and God knows this. Keeping that in mind, here are some of the things that connected with me with these Bible passages. From Isaiah, I got that rather than trying to fix someone's problems or make everything right for those I love, which I try to do from time to time, which most of the time I know I can't, but I still try anyway, 
Instead, maybe I can provide a listening ear. I can practice my active listening, my active inquiry skills, instead of always trying to fix their problems. Something else I can do is speak up when I see someone being treated unfairly, to use my voice for good. From ACTS, I heard God asking me to check my judgments. Now, I like to think I'm reasonably good at this. In my day job, I need to be aware of the cognitive biases I have and to challenge myself when I'm in a position for these to play out or to come to the fore. I also like to think I'm reasonably good at seeing things from others' perspectives. I think my empathy skills are pretty well developed. I'm good at asking myself why I think someone may have acted the way they did, for example. But maybe God is nudging me here to refine my skills even more. To attempt to walk a few moons in someone else's moccasins more often and perhaps for longer. To remind myself that God has no favourites. He has no prejudices. And from Matthew, I hear God reminding me that I'm one of his daughters. One of his daughters whom he loves. In his own unique way. Crafted. By God. I'm crafted by God. I'm unique. I'm special. And I deserve to be loved. There's a part of me, maybe because I didn't grow up having it instilled in me that Jesus loves me, me, Julie South, and that he thinks I'm special. Unlike cradle Catholics, those brought up in the faith like my husband and his family, they grew up believing this without question. They know they're loved by God. Whereas I think I have quite a heavy dose of imposter syndrome going on quite a bit of the time. I have to keep reminding myself that I'm special and that God loves me. From Matthew, I hear God God telling me to believe that God truly loves me. I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've been genuinely marked with the cross of God when I was six months old. He loves me. Therefore, I think God is nudging me today to that telling me that it's time for me to actually start believing that this is so. I hope you found all of this interesting and helpful. I hope this podcast helps you prepare and maybe even understand just a teeny tiny incy, wincy, dinky bit better the wonderful world of God and the Catholic faith. Thank you for spending the last half an hour or so of your life with God, Isaiah, Luke, Matthew and me. I pray that each of these men, coupled with my history and context, has been able to make the difference that God wishes for you today in their own way in your life. Thank you for getting this far. Can I ask you to do me a huge favor, please? If you enjoyed today's show, can you please help me spread God's word about your Catholic corner? All you have to do is tell your friends and family about this podcast so they can hopefully benefit as well. Letting them know is super easy. It's free. They just need to visit yourcatholiccorner.com where they'll be able to subscribe and follow the show from there. It doesn't cost them anything to do that. And thank you for doing that for God. Wherever you are, I pray that God's glass of love overflows in your heart and your life. And that when you're ready, you're able to accept God's invitation to you to join him to share in Holy Communion this week at your local parish.
And finally, I'd like to say thank you to the parishioners of the Cathedral of the Blessed Virgin Mary who helped me bring this podcast to you today. This is Julie South signing off until next week when we're back in ordinary time. Peace be with you. God bless.